Hi, it's Jesse, the founder of MaxFun, coming to you from the microphone at my home office where I am socially segregating. So we promised you a MaxFun drive this week, but things haven't exactly gone how we expected. So given the pandemic, we're going to postpone this year's drive. Uh, events are still fluid, so we're hesitant to give you specifics about new dates. Right now, we have late April penciled into our calendars. We'll keep you posted about that. As it stands, a lot of our drive machinery was already cranked up. So for one thing, you might hear a reference or two to the drive in our shows, which might have been recorded before we made this decision. And uh, here is some good news. There's a bunch of great bonus content available for all of our MaxFun members. If you're a member and you miss the email with instructions on how to listen, check your spam folder or log in at MaximumFun.org manage. Uh, also at MaximumFun.org manage, you can change your membership if your circumstances have changed. We know this is a tough time for a lot of people and we understand. You can also go to MaximumFun.org slash join at any time if you'd like to become a member. During the next couple of weeks, what would have been the drive, we're going to do our best to be extra available to you. Uh, we've got some streaming events planned, some social media stuff. We know a lot of folks are isolated right now, and we want to help provide comfort in the best ways that we know how. You can follow us on social media, and we'll let you know what's up. During this tough time, I have been feeling really grateful for my community of colleagues here at MaxFun and for you, the folks who make our work possible, goofy as that work may sometimes be. Stay safe out there. We're thinking of you. Welcome to iPodius, an XII podcast miniseries for Maximum Fun, in which I, John, of the Judge John Hodgman podcast, watch I, Claudius, the famous 1976 BBC miniseries about ancient Rome for maybe the fifth, although it now feels like the hundredth time. And... And I, Elliot, of the Flophouse podcast, watch it for the very first time, and then we talk about it. On this episode of iPodius, we'll hear from super producer Jordan Cowling and a very special guest. Uh, we'll give you a hint. He is the captain of the Starship USS Enterprise and the current star of Star Trek Picard on CBS All Access. Although, he's not the captain of the Starship Enterprise on iClaudius. You get that, right? Like, there's no—this is not—oh, boy, I got to explain. There's no it's, crossover it's, in iClaudius with— Star Trek. Like, there's no space people in it. You'll figure it out. You do not want to miss it. That's the important part, so stay tuned. And now, quicker than boiled asparagus, let's get to it. Yeah, that's Elliot Kalin, of course, of the Flophouse podcast. This week, we cover I, Claudius, episode six, using the Wikipedia numbering, always. Mm -hmm. Yep. Queen of Heaven is the name of the episode we are, we are recapping today, that we are discussing today. So if you haven't seen it, pause this, go watch it, and then come back. It only takes like an hour. You should do it. And this this covers, for those calendar kings out there, this covers the years roughly 23 to 29 A.D. That's right. Roughly 23 to 29 A.D. So, okay, have you watched it? Great. Now, you probably didn't bother to watch the episode before this one, so let me recap that one for you. <laughs> Where we last left the Empire, everyone's favorite bickering Roman couple, Piso and Plancina, favorite characters. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a huge part of this story. 
it's amazing how I, Claudius, a miniseries based on a novel, decided to do a backdoor pilot for Piso and Plancina, the bickering right. treasonous married Roman couple. Yeah, they're, they're true Lockharts of the ancient Rome. <laughs> yeah. They've been put... They've been put on trial for treason and the murder of Claudius's good, uh, handsome brother, Germanicus. <laughs> Emperor Tiberius does not want to put his very best friends, Piso and Plancino, on trial in the Senate because of their obvious longstanding friendship that has been documented over many episodes. <laughs> and also because Tiberius secretly always hated Germanicus almost as much as he hates Rome and the darkness within himself. But Tiberius got outmaneuvered by that ancient Roman crime-fighting good guy team known as the Claude Squad. Claude Squad, roll call. Claudius, stammering, mm-hmm. limping scholar who secretly has a supermind. Agrippina, the widow of Germanicus who can teleport into any room, as we will see. <laughs> and, so long and as Tiberius is there so she can yell at him. She's she's powered by the by the force of vengeance and stern lectures. That's exactly right. Castor, who is Tiberius's son and also husband. To Claudius's sister, Lavilla, doesn't have a superpower other than looking like Greg Brady. Mm-hmm. And Herod, self-exiled heir to the Judean kingdom. How would you describe his superpower? His superpower is that he's Jewish, and so he can look on the Roman system with a sort of outsider's bemusement. Yeah, he's got ironic eye rolls. <laughs> <laughs> his, his eyes shoot out ironic eye-rolling laser beams. Yeah, he has, he has the ancient Hebraic power of the shrug. That's how you're going to do it. All right. So in the last episode, uh, the Claude Squad got their hands on Martina, the woman who poisoned Germanicus in Syria, on Piso and Plancina's orders. But they get outmaneuvered by Livia, the Dowager Empress and top royal poisoner of Rome. Martina and Livia have some fun poison shop talk, wherein it is revealed that not only did Martina actually poison Germanicus, but she was aided by Germanicus' own creepy demon child, Caligula. Some other stuff happens that I don't remember, but the upshot is Tiberius is forced to turn on his old friends, Piso and Plancina. Plancina kills her husband and herself in shame, and every viewer is moved to tears to lose these important fond characters that we love so much. It's almost like, then, why, why bother watching the rest of the series now that Piso and Plancina are gone? I know. What's a, what, what story is there left to tell? <laughs> oh, right. Also, creepy little Caligula hugs and kisses his own sister and then burns the house down. But that is all in the past. Specifically... That was A.D. or Common Era 20. But before we flash forward to what is the time frame again? Uh, according to Wikipedia, it's roughly 23 to 29 A.D. But, you know, what are the, I, Claudius, it, it plays a little fast and loose with the chronology in terms of time. People are not always the same age that they would be in, in actual life. So it's that's rough. Take it as a guideline. Yeah. Three. Uh, now I have to do some math. So this 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 one episode spans six years? Uh, possibly. It's, it's, uh, a lot condenses events. From those right. six year, that six-year period. Well, before we go uh, fast forward to the future of maybe 23 or 24 or 25, 26, 27, 28, or 29 CE, a uh, little content warning. I, Claudius, is not a work of history, but is a very sexy and often nude Roman nighttime soap opera <laughs> that deals with matters of a sexual and often uh, disturbing nature. In fact, the very first scene of this episode involves a discussion of sexual manipulation and assault, as well as suicide, so be warned, and if you are listening with young kids, maybe don't, right? Yeah. Maybe stop listening now, because this is not the fucking Judge John Hodgman podcast. <laughs> no, this is, a, and uh, I'm glad that you dropped that F-bomb as if to uh, clear a space between what went before and what is happening now that kids can't cross into. But yeah, especially, I don't know what kids are going to want to listen to this one now that Pizzo and Plancina, friends to all children, have left the show. <laughs> 
But yeah, just but, like Gamera, just like Gamera, <laughs> the monster Gamera. Exactly. But we're, we're entering. We're now roughly halfway through the series, and the show uh, is going to be. Whereas before, there was some kind of like sexy affair stuff that was mostly not violent in nature. From this point on, it will be increasingly. Uh, it feels disturbing and violent in nature. Starting with this this first scene, which uh, John, let's jump into it. Uh, which is all talk, and yet the talk is very disturbing, and it is an amazing scene for that reason. Well, first of all, let's acknowledge that for once we do not have the framing device of old time, old pancake makeup Claudius <laughs> in his study remembering this. Oh, that's true. We are yeah, set right in media in media res, which is a Latin term meaning a big finger symbols dance <laughs> because it's a party at Lalia's. A party at Lalia's was going to be the name of this episode. <laughs> But the party turns out to be very sad. <laughs> they, they felt that since Lalia only appears in the one scene and it, it kind of trivializes the events that we're about to watch, that maybe they wouldn't call it that. Right. Lalia is a Roman noblewoman whose husband's name I completely forget. Uh, I, do you I, remember? It, I do not remember it. Let's and we never see him again. Don. So I think it's okay. No, we never, <laughs> I, so no, let's, we just, never see let's just call him, yeah, Greg or Jack. I liked Don. Oh, Don no. works. Yeah, yeah. Don, he's yeah. yeah Don, Lolly Don, and Don. Don Roman. He owns a pizza place. <laughs> and that's so also a gambling a... casino. That's right. Roll behind the behind the false back wall. Yeah, yeah. I guess you think right. it's just a brick oven pizza place, but then you go behind. The, there's the oven is on hinges. You go behind that fake back wall, and that's where right. the uh, there's one roulette table, and most of it's just kind of card games. Well, that's not what's happening. They're actually in their <laughs> own uh, their own cardboard chamber. Uh, where they are hosting a dinner party for a lot of the Claude squad. Claudius is there. Agrippina is there. And Lalia decides to tell a fun story. I was there subjected to acts of such abominable filth to bestial obscenities. Him and his slaves of both sexes. That mere prostitution seems like a blessed stake compared to. It's a scene where she starts telling the story and you have no idea where she was going with it, and the story becomes increasingly chilling and increasingly disturbing and yeah. talks about in in very vague terms about just the, the acts that she was subjected to by way of sacrificing herself to keep her sis her daughter from having to go through it. And then by the right. end, it's clear she's so haunted by this that she takes a dagger and in front of her, her husband and her entire assembled dinner party uh, commits suicide. And it's just this right. th This whole thing is so, it's such a, it's such a, one of those many scenes that we have in the episode that's like a masterclass British theater acting scene. Right, such that even when she is stabbing herself with an obviously oversized rubber dagger, <laughs> like you might get at a Halloween store, yeah, you are totally shocked and dismayed because, as you say, it opens as basically a domestic scene where she's like, "All right, everybody, thanks for coming to dinner. I've got a confession to make." And the, and Don Roman is like, "Oh, how much did you spend this time, dear?" She's like, "That's <laughs> not what happened. Remember when Tiberius, the emperor, took a liking to our daughter at the last party? He's like, "No, I didn't notice." Well, he he, he called for her and he wanted to uh, do it with her. And to spare her, I offered myself. He subjected Lalian not only to unwanted sex, but also lots of horrible, uh, alluded to different abuses that has caused her to kill herself. And this is to establish Tiberius is now emperor. He's primarily 
interested only in his own uh, deviant self-pleasure. And uh, Sejanus, uh, who was inter- introduced in the last episode, that is to say Sir Patrick Stewart, is uh, doing most of the most of the scut work in the Empire, largely to his own benefit. But before we turn to him... Oh, wait. Be- actually, before we turn to anyone else, I just want to give a... Shout out or a, a I guess a Roman hail hailing or a, a triumphal procession moment to Isabel Alway. Dean. What yes. uh, is that? What it is uh, to Isabel Dean, the actress who played Lalia, who I think this is her only scene in the series, right? But she's so yeah. indelible in it. She does such an amazing job, and she is as with so many of the actors in this movie. She w- had a long career in England on radio, film, television, uh, and so forth. So you will probably stumble upon her in other things and you'll be haunted and terrified knowing that she also played Lalia and delivered this amazing frightening monologue so uh good work Isabel Dean she's one of those British sort of journey person actors of stage and television and a little bit screen who was not in Doctor Who but was in Quatermass Experiment which is pretty good and also a good point to, to to bring this out which is that you know the power of this show is not the props, not the set decoration, certainly not the makeup, which is often very uh, heavy-handed. <laughs> they're like, they're like, how do we make someone look old? Well, oatmeal and raisins, yeah. slap it on their face, that'll do it. And basically, this entire scene is filmed theater. I mean, I don't think there's a cut in this scene. I, no, I don't, I don't think remember so. One. Yeah, the camera is basically just locked off on this cardboard set where everyone's lounging around on pillows as usual. Well, it follows her around it, the set it, a little bit, but, but, but yeah, from one it moves position. Around. You're yeah. right. It, it moves around and follows her, but it nonetheless, Isabel Dean creates this atmosphere of terror, which we also take to understand, which we also understand to be pervading Rome in general, that anyone could be summoned by Tiberius and degraded uh, at any moment. Cut to uh, go straight from that, Horrifying scene to what is maybe my the fun, one of the funniest scenes in the uh, in the series. It's a traffic jam in the marketplace. <laughs> yeah. the road for the Emperor. Make way. Is it my son who greets his mother with such affectionate eagerness? Good day, mother. In a hurry, are you? What is it? Another treason trial? Who is it today? There are no trials today, Mother. Slipped up, have you? Run out of people to prosecute, or perhaps you'll have more time to spend with your mother. There is no need to shout, I'm not deaf. You've been deaf to me for years. Why did you refuse the ambassadors from Spain permission to erect a temple to me? I will not discuss such matters in the street. Good day, Mother. Move on. Good day. It's my birthday next month. What are you going to buy me? I heard about Lolia. Disgusting. Your brother Drusus was worth ten of you. And th- and this marketplace, this is the biggest set we've seen on the show yet. So I just want to say, Cla- they're getting ambitious on iClaudius when it right. comes to the set. This one looks like it takes up almost an entire room. The fascinating thing about the marketplace set is that while it is very cramped, it is less cramped than most of the other rooms. And also, it, it does suggest that maybe... Uh, the the fake sky ceiling uh, above the characters' uh, heads might be more than nine feet. It might be a little <laughs> yeah. bit higher. It does not feel it does not feel incredibly oppressively shadowed by by the <laughs> ceiling. And here in the marketplace, uh, Livia, who is of course the dowager empress, the 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 wife of the dead emperor Augustus, and her own son, now emperor Tiberius. 
uh, pull up alongside each other in a human traffic jam. He's being carried in a sedan chair. She's being carried in a covered couch that's called a lectica. I looked that up. A lectica. There's just something about the scene where it's like, you may be the horrible, monstrous perv emperor of Rome. You are still someone's son, and you still need to buy your mom a birthday present. And there's something exactly. universal about that situation. You could be one of the worst men in the history of ancient Rome, and yet you still have to be like, ugh, what do I get my mom for her birthday? <laughs> she doesn't like anything I get her. We cut now to the inner cardboard chamber, the seat of the Roman Empire, where Sejanus and Tiberius are going over some biz. Tiberius, and guess who's uh, back? He, oh, yeah, I was going to say, is, it, is, this, is this our old buddy, Thrasyllus? Thrasyllus, the comical astrologer sidekick <laughs> to that other backdoor pilot. <laughs> Tiberius and Thrasyllus on an island together, the odd couple. And Tiberius like, Thrasyllus, can you look ahead and tell me when my mom's going to die? Right, because he's so mad at her. He's just come from the marketplace. He's like, I'm so mad at my mom. Thrasyllus, my astrologer, please tell me when my mom is going to die so I'll get some relief. Something I hadn't realized is Thrasyllus has the most amazing job security of anybody in the world of Iclaudius. He is like he's now been Tiberius's personal astrologer for for decades by this point. True. And all true. he has to do is every now and then it gets threatened. You know what? We're having some layoffs. You, there are some redundancies. I might throw you out a window or off a cliff, but it never happens. So he, it's just like at this point, Thrasyllus, he should just recognize he's in a sweet position. And the other thing about Thrasyllus, as we'll discover later on in this episode, and, and I think this is borne out in earlier episodes, he is a buffoon and um, a bit of a weasel and an apologizer, and he's always trying to spin things in his favor. But when he, when he lays down those prophecies, usually true. Yeah. <laughs> usually eerily accurate. Coming, Excellency. Coming. I want you to cast my mother's horoscope. Your mother's? Uh, what for? Because I want to know how much longer I have to put up with her. That's what's for. Do you know the exact time of her birth? Of course I don't. Well, then I can only do a rough calculation. Why don't you ask her? It's her birthday soon. You could tell her her son wants to make her a present of her horoscope. Oh, yeah, she'd like that. She's had a great admiration for you ever since you prophesied that she'd outlive her husband. That was obvious. I could see she'd every intention of doing so. He's a very good seer. He doesn't seem like it, but he's a very good seer. But he doesn't know when Livia's going to die because he does not know her precise time of birth. So he toddles off to Livia's chamber <laughs> to ask her that. And meanwhile, Sejanus is like, are we done with this nonsense? Because I got <laughs> some traitors to present to you. <laughs> Number one on the list, Silius Cecina. One of a long parade of... Noble, square-jawed white guys who are marked for death because they, uh, they're too good. They're too good. They're too decent. That decency leads them to occasionally insult or make jokes about Tiberius, which is not okay, according to Tiberius. What are we here? Verbatim reports of conversations taken down by my agents. Some are merely vicious. Others are treasonable. Doesn't anybody in this city ever say anything that isn't either vicious or treasonable? Sejanus is reading testimony from another one of these dinner parties that are happening all the time when Silius Cecina the former corps commander of the Upper Rhine, basically insinuated that uh, that he was a better commander than Tiberius during the Germanic Wars because his troops didn't mutiny, for one. And if they had <laughs> mutinied, Tiberius wouldn't be emperor today. So Silius Cecina is another, another one of these uh, noble dupes who's going to get his head cut off. Uh, the former corps commander on the Upper Rhine. And uh, Sejanus is presenting some testimony from yet another dinner party where Silius Cecina basically bragged that his troops didn't mutiny and Tiberius's did mutiny and therefore Silius Cecina is a better leader than him 
And Tiberius at first is like, oh, you know, these old commanders, they all they all brag about stuff. A rare moment of sort of uh, decent humanity from Tiberius until he learns. Agrippina was at the dinner. Uh -huh. Agrippina. Agrippina, the teleporter and yeller. Mm -hmm. He hates Agrippina so much. And as soon as he learns that, he marks Silius Cecina down to be tried for treason. And then we have a new visitor to the stage. Elliot? So uh, you had mentioned in your recap that there was a little boy named Caligula who had yeah, caused some trouble and burned, burned his and his name literally means little soldier's boots so the oh. so it's it's little Caligula is like saying little little soldier's boots he's not a little kid anymore oh no he is now a young man being played by a much older man uh in the form of John Hurt and Caligula walks in in order to share with Tiberius an ancient porn scroll that he found <laughs> because they are in a porn sharing club, I guess, and Tiberius loves it. And instantly, the moment you see, there's a way, the first time we saw Patrick Stewart as Sejanus, we were like, whoa, who is this? The first time you see John Hurt as Caligula, you were like, what is going on? Who is this man who is so different from everyone and everything else going on about him all the time? It's like, a, it's like, a visitor from outer space, like an evil version of the Little Prince, just dropped yeah. into the show, and it is startling and amazing. Oh, that's nothing. Wait till you see the others. Where did you get this? Elephantus, a merchant I know who travels between Egypt and Rome, told me about, and I asked him to get it for me. It cost quite a lot. Well, to tell the truth, it cost so much I had to borrow part of it from Uncle Claudius. <laughs> 200 years old. It was very thoughtful of you. I knew you'd like it. In fact, I'd like to borrow it myself sometime. I, I mean, when you're not using it. <sighs> One of the things that you don't, that you, because you're so, your eyes are so riveted <laughs> on George Baker and John Hurt being weirdos, is Patrick Stewart's, Patrick Stewart's virtuoso, like, almost minuscule eye roll at these two creeps. <laughs> it's like, can we, can I get on with impeaching Salisacina in the Senate? So I he have, leaves. I have people to accuse of treason so I can kill them. <laughs> do we have to do this right. right now? Right, right. So he, so he's like, yeah, well, I'm, I'm out of here. And he goes, find, he goes find some dupe senator to accuse Salisacina of treason in the Senate and then intercepts Castor, a.k.a. Greg Brady Hare, who's coming in to see his dad, and they have a little tete-a-tete. Castor, how nice to see you. Welcome back. I'm Castor to my friends, Sir Janus. I had hoped you would count me among your friends. Perhaps you will one day. That seems to me unlikely. And Castor goes in to see his dad, Tiberius, and they fight uh, over a number of different things. It's a very fighty episode. Yeah. They fight over the legacy of Germanicus. That Tiberius believed that Germanicus wanted to uh, to take over the throne from Tiberius. Germanicus, of course, was poisoned in Syria. That was the subject of the last episode. And Castor has one big, this is almost touching to me, his one big message to his dad. He's like, look, I'm, I know I'm not a great son to you. I know that Sejanus has been by your side, helping you day in, day out over the years, while I've been hanging out with the Claude squad, going to parties and hanging out with Herod. But please understand, Jean-Luc Picard is using you. So Janus is not interested in helping you. He's helping. He's interested in only elevating himself to the point that there is a statue of Jean-Luc Picard right now in the Pompey Theater. 
and there are statues all over town. People are buying Tiberius little little Sejanus statues for good luck. Yeah, little Sejanus statues. And Tiberius is like, envy, envy. There's this sense that like every public space and every statue is a little bit of temple. And so if there's a statue of Patrick Stewart in the in the theater, and especially and the Pompey Theater, I think was a big, you know, I don't know enough about it. But uh, if there's a statue of him there, then that is the next step to him being acclaimed in a way that uh, sets him up to be a possible threat to the empire. And then eventually, right. you know, who knows how high you can go. This is a world where if you get high enough, right. when you die, you become a god. And right. and a big part of that is, like, statues are exp- were expensive to make. They had to be made by craftsmen. It's like he's saying, Sejanus, you don't know this, but Sejanus has a, has a one-hour Netflix special. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is because the steps go from one-hour Netflix special to, what, uh, hosting your own reality show to or game show to presidency. So, yeah, it's a very similar. <laughs> it's a similar path. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to derail you with that incredibly not good... <laughs> Uh, comparison, but what he, it's basically saying, Sejanus is is creating his own cult of personality. That there should be a statue right. of the emperor there, and instead there's a statue of Sejanus. But not even Castor knows the full scope of Sejanus's ambitions. Castor doesn't because like Sejanus for professional reasons, but he should not like him for personal reasons. Because what's going on? What's go- we're about to find out. We cut to Castor and Lavilla. Lavilla, of course, is Castor's wife and also Claudius's sister, played by Patricia Quinn. With expert, with expert steely eyes and m- mean voice. She had Patricia Quinn's performance in this and each episode she's in is so. I, I feel like I used up a lot of words talking about John Hurt that I should also use talking about her. That she's so intense and she's so fierce in the way she relays yeah. the emotions of her character and her character's emotions are so on the surface in a way that a lot of the other characters are not. They're so like precise and, and yeah. political, that there's just something very alive about her, but also something very scary. Did you quarrel with your father? We had an argument over Sejanus. He's blind to that man's ambition. Don't you think you exaggerated? No. Well, what can he aspire to, a commander of the guard? I sometimes think he aspires to sit where my father sits. He doesn't realize how much he's grown to depend upon him. He seeks his advice on everything. Why don't you go to sleep? I don't know why I'm so tired. You've had a long journey. Yeah, why am I so tired? Like a Disney character, he's yawning. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like Sleepy the Dwarf. (laughs) If Sleepy the Dwarf were about to be drugged by Sleepy's wife. Because that's what's happening. Uh, It's obvious to everyone that Lavilla has slipped something into Castor's drink so that he will fall asleep. I should mention before he does fall asleep, Helen comes in, their daughter comes in and gives him a kiss goodnight. She'll feature heavily in the next episode. And as soon as uh, Castor falls into his roofied sleep, Lavilla runs over to... Sejanus. Just kind of standing in the doorway in a weird way. <laughs> it's like he was waiting for Castor to fall asleep kind of like behind the doorframe. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, exactly. Like he got there, they mistimed the, the uh, sleeping draft so that uh, they thought it would be by a certain time, but he got there like five minutes, ten minutes early. So he's just waiting right. there. And and Lavilla is all up on Sejanus. Lavilla is there's a lot of yeah. She is there's so a lot of sucking face in this scene. Yeah, she is crazy in love with him, and it is something that he is into. But you could tell he is. It's a real imbalanced relationship. And Sejanus is like, we gotta end this affair. That he's gonna find out. And Lavilla's like, no, 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 no. And he puts the idea in her head that they could get married if she 
poisoned Castor not just for a night, but for a forever. Right. He's He's been giving her the drugs to make him go to sleep so that they can have their affair. And then he suggests, what if you give him a little bit too much and he falls asleep forever? And she's like, I'm into it. And they talk out a very intense fantasy that mirrors the stuff that Lalia was talking about in her speech, to be honest, except Lavilla is, this is a, she is completely into at least the, the discussion of this fantasy. And it is a sign of either how much Lavilla is just totally in Sejanus's thrall, that the idea of being, being at his full command and doing anything for him is, is a turn on for her. Or, I don't know, I don't want to kink shame anybody. Maybe she's just into certain types of fantasies that other people are not into. Hey, Lavilla, you got to be you, but don't be you to such an extent that you murder your husband. It's too late. Uh, it happened 2,000 years ago. There's a lot of disturbing stuff throughout I, Claudius, but the amount of like, like kiss noises in this one, this scene really grossed me out. I was, I, a, little, I was a little misophonic about it. Uh, hey, Jordan, can you jump in for a second? Producer Jordan Cowling, can you jump in for a second to talk about this scene? Uh, did you watch this scene? I did watch this scene. It's a little ick. It's a little gross. And so that's what I wanted. I wanted to get your opinion on that because we know from last episode your mom was a big fan of this show, I Claudius, and she she also felt a little hubba hubba about Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. But this is a lot of something. I don't know. Tell me how you thought it was ick. It's hard. Well, for one thing, you mentioned it's hard for me to watch a scene with starring a man who I know that my mom has a a really a really uh, intense sexual attraction to because oh, I'm just okay. imagining that she wants to. It's hard for you not to see her in La Villa's place. Yeah. Like, is she going to member murders of my family because so she could be with Patrick Stewart and have this conversation, which is right up there with the story that uh, I forget which of the actresses is, tells in persona where she's just telling a story about sex she had once and it is too intense. And I'm like, whoa, this is so much more intense than anything in any movie with sex on screen that I've ever seen. Is it like that? It is like that. This series uh, is a lot more sexual than I thought it would be. But that that scene mm-hmm. in particular, I was just kind of like, ugh. You thought it was all going to be like every scene in the Star Wars prequels where it's just like councils of Jedi saying like, we have a problem. We've got to deal with these taxation levels. I thought it was going to be super boring. I didn't think it was going to be. I mean, and the scrolls and it's just uh, <laughs> so very sexual. You won't last 10 seconds on this scroll. That was a, a porn up reference. That's what it says on the outside. It's like, you, you won't last 10 seconds on this scroll. That's so funny. Direct, director Herbert Wise did make a decision to really linger on the, stro- on the scroll. Uh, well, he knew, he knew what was paying the bills. He knew what the BBC was hiring him for. To give a classy of, gloss on something that would bring in the, the British, those repressed British eyes. One of the things about this scene... That struck me as like we, you know, as as much as we all love Patrick Stewart and find him to be attractive, he doesn't have a lot of romance scenes in any of the stuff that I've ever seen. Certainly not on n- nothing like this on you know the Next Generation or anything. He doesn't have a lot of kissing scenes. And I thought the kissing was there's a lot of sounds of kissing, <laughs> sound directed <laughs> in a way that made me feel nauseated. We we have it on authority that it, that Patrick Stewart in the scene his head hair is fake. But it seems to me like that back and arm and shoulder hair is all natural. What do you think about that? His hair is fake? That's all BBC uh, hair phonics department hair. That's so disappointing. Wow. I have it on very high authority, (laughs) and you'll understand what I mean later, that he he was bald from the time he was like 19. So that the hair on top of his head is, is totally phony. 
but I can't imagine they actually pasted that much hair onto his shoulders. No, no, my guess is that's 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 all natural past due. <laughs> the, I, this, I will say about this scene that uh, it is, I was watching this episode on a plane because I had to watch it before recording coming back from somewhere. And I was like looking around me being like, I hope nobody else is, is watching my shoulder because this is so much steamier than I expected it to be. In any case, Jordan, uh, since, since we, we dragged you in here for this, uh, do you mind hanging around while we watch the rest of the episode together? Sure, sounds good. Awesome. So we now cut back to the marketplace. The, fl- the fluorescent sun in the sky is high and all is right in the world, except Castor is coughing suspiciously, mm-hmm. and Claudius <laughs> his, comes his, up to him in the marketplace. The suspicious yawns have been replaced by suspicious coughs. Castor, what's your hurry? Oh, yeah. Look at this. Hey, this morning. Lady Livia Augusta expects her dear grandson, Iberius Claudius Drusus, to dine with her on the occasion of her birthday. She hopes that he's in good health. Yeah, what could it be? Well, it says, I imagine. I should take her own wine if I were you. Oh, oh, joke, Helen. I'm very nervous. I mean, she never invites me. We haven't even spoken for seven years. Do you know the last time she spoke to me was when Caligula burned the house down? And then all she said was, if you haven't got a bucket, piss on it. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, this actor, uh, Elliot, what is his name? Uh, this is Kevin McNally, who's playing this part. Kevin McNally. Playing the part of he's Castor. Gu- he's he's good. I mean, he's really likable. I think he's kind of like, I like looking at him. Yeah, I mean. Even with his dumb, sick makeup on. He's like, now now he's sort of been made out to be a g-g-g-g-ghost. <laughs> but, but I got to say, his yawning and his coughing, if I were Herbert Wise, the director of all of this, uh, I I would probably say to him, yeah, take it down a thousand on the coughing. It seems it's too on the nose. I don't. You'd you'd say that, but that is it, it's probably exactly that coughing that Gore Verbinski saw and said, "I found my Joshimi Gibbs for the Pirates of the Caribbean film franchise series." <laughs> oh, he was Joshimi Gibbs in the Pirates <laughs> the, of the Caribbean. The, the famous character, the the Piso and Plancia of the Pirates of the Caribbean series, Joshimi Gibbs. Yes. What kind of name is Joshimi? I don't know. I, to be honest, right. I'm not. I don't really remember him that well in the uh, in the series. But according to Wikipedia, he's one of only three characters who is in every film in the Pirates of the Caribbean series. All right, good for him. Along with well, Jack Sparrow and Hector Barbosa. Pirates of the Caribbean is not actually uh, history. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I Claudius is. That's right. But Castor is coughing so much because it's uh, they want to indicate to the viewer that he's being quietly poisoned behind the scenes by his wife, Livia. He's hanging out in the marketplace with Herod, and Claudius comes along uh, to say two things. One, Castor, you look terrible, and why are you coughing? Oh, and the other thing is that he's been invited to uh, to, to birthday brunch with Livia. And Herod is like, well, I should take my own wine if I were you, because everyone knows that Livia's a poisoner. Ha, 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 ha. I can't remember. Have I sang yet on any episode a parody of the song Lydia the Tattooed Lady but with the words Livia, the poisoning lady. I feel like I would have remembered that. <laughs> At this point, it just has to happen. It's good. I mean, I wish I had, now having said that, I wish I had written that more, because now it's just going to be, Livia, oh, Livia, say, have you met Livia? Livia, the poisoning lady. And the original song is all about her tattoos, but I guess it'd be all about her uh, her people that she's poisoned. Uh, I'll work on it. I'll work on it. <laughs> That's as much as you have? It just. I mean, I just thought of the idea now. What a setup. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to have to do better. You're going <laughs> okay. to have to, I in the Senate now order you to write that entire song out. All right. You just bought yourself some homework. <laughs> that'll be that'll be for a later episode then. Claudius is in the market because he's got to buy Livia a birthday present. This is the birthday that we were talking about before. And Castor goes, why don't you buy her one of these? 
and he shows him one of 7,000 little statues of Patrick Stewart that are that are they're littering the marketplace because Sejanus is uh, trying to form a cult of personality around himself. And I hope that Patrick Stewart got to keep at least one of those. Yeah, I like to believe that that he bought them all and buried them in a in a hoard in Yorkshire somewhere. <laughs> it's for uh, future generations to find. Right. And one of the things that is interesting about this scene and again th- this struck me as well. Th- this this scene flows into another scene in which we learn that um Silius what, what's his name? Silius Asina? Silius Asina is is being brought to trial. I mean, he's, he gets this scene flows into Silius Asina being marched through the marketplace, being brought to trial and Castor not believing it, no one no one understands why Silius Asina is being brought to trial. It's one it's one shot. I don't think there's a cut in this whole sequence either. And unlike the opening sequence, which is basically a camera just panning back and forth between the characters, this truly is a choreographed shot where Herod and Claudius and uh, Castor move behind uh, a market stall to hit certain marks where they're lined up perfectly in front of all those statues of, of Patrick Stewart and then push back to to catch Silius Cecina being marched through the marketplace. This is astonishing uh, amount of uh, both acting, like no one messes up a line. It's this long extended shot. It ought to be as famous as the kitchen shot in Goodfellas as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, right up there with that, that opening shot from uh, Touch of Evil that had that long, long, long tracking shot. But uh, right. I guess it's up to us to make it happen. So I, I, I feel like that's a pledge you're making that every day from now until it becomes as famous as the, that scene in Goodfellas, you are going to be Instagramming and tweeting about this scene until it becomes just a part of film school curricula. Yeah. That John, the John Hodgman lost his mind about this shot. No, <laughs> the point is, I may or may not forget his name in the mystery interview that comes later on. I'm not sure if we keep that in or not. I totally forgot his name in the mystery interview that's coming up later on. But I remember it now. The director of every of every one of these episodes is Herbert Wise, and Herbert Wise deserves some credit. Cut to a peacock tray. <laughs> you know, you know what a peacock tray is, right, Jordan? Tray for your peacocks. Yeah, well, specifically your dead ones that you're sacrificing to uh, to Brian Blessed, a.k.a. Emperor Augustus, a.k.a. Boss Nass. Mm-hmm. If you're Tiberius, you're going to put a tablecloth on your head and go and sacrifice a peacock to uh, to your um, stepfather, the, the dead Emperor Augustus. Take these offerings, I beg, poor as they are, and help me, your unworthy successor, to rule wisely in your place. And help me too, O my father, divine ruler of the world, to calm the raging spirit inside me and lighten the dark shadows of my soul and bring me peace. We have to recall that Tiberius is an awful monster and a predator and an abuser, but he knows that he is these things. And in certain moments of reflection, he feels momentarily bad about it. But luckily there is the... And he's, and he's in a peacock and he's, ceremony that gets him off the hook. And he, yeah, it's the, the everyone that was I mean, that was the Prozac of its time. He's like, oh, I'm just in this right. dark cloud. And his doctor was like, look, there's a there. There's a new thing we're trying. It's a new we're in, it's in trials right now. You kill a peacock to your stepdad. Just try it. Let's see if, if it works out. But he is he's in right. real. He's not only has a certain amount of self-knowledge that he is a bad person, but he is in real pain. And this is one of these moments where. Even though he is a monster, and it, the show is opened again with this horrifying 
uh, discussion of this terrible the, the kind of terrible things he's doing. The, the, he gets a moment here where he's like, "Oh, he's a person in pain, and he really wants that pain removed from him." And he is so at a loss that's all that left for him. All that's left for him to do is to try to pray it away. And even in his prayers, he ends up murdering something. And like, even his attempt to remove that pain and become a better person involves him killing a beautiful bird. Yeah, well, that was a different time. Yeah. And also, pe- it was pe- technically a very different time. Yeah. I'll be honest with you; they're terrible, they're terrible birds. I don't. I was. I was. Uh, I was at the L.A. Zoo recently uh, with my family, and I saw a peacock walking around. And I started doing a character of guy who is glad that peacocks get to be pretty because human men don't get to be. And it was like, oh, fi- well, it's this is it. Finally, it's so refreshing to see a species where the man gets to wear the makeup. And my wife was not amused by it. No. Neither was I. <laughs> Jordan. I thought it was just okay. <laughs> you can cut all that out. <laughs> Jordan, I, I, I'll ask you this. We've, we've gone on and on about George Baker's performance as Tiberius and how he exudes humanity and self-loathing. Uh, uh, do you ever feel sorry for Tiberius or is he just a uh, 100% creep for you? I mean, I think it's really important that we humanize white guys who are kind of jerks. So <laughs> it's about time. Yeah, um, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. Well, also, he gets called out immediately for his bullshit by Agrippina, who uses her teleportation to turn up right behind him as he turns around and literally scare him, calling him a hypocrite. And they have another fight. Last last time they had a fight across a hallway. This time they have a fight in a temple. Agrippina points out that uh, that he's killing all of her friends one by one. Silius Cecina is on trial for uh, treason. Her brother is dead. He's cruel to her sons, except for Caligula, whom he seems to really like. He accuses her of wanting to be queen. And finally, she takes a deep breath. She said, do we have to fight all the time? She's tired. The Claude squad is breaking up. And you can see that he almost hears her. And he promises very nicely not to murder her children. A promise he will (laughs) break, actually. But that's for later. But then he turns to her and says, as for you, I will never forget what you made me do to Pizzo. (laughs) And what is going? Why does he like Pizzo so much? He, I, there's, there's something about that. There's something in that Pizzo relationship that the show gave short shrift to. But I, I mean, if anything, here's here's my guess on that: is that he is such a far gone kind of twisted, uh, distorted figure that, like many people who exist today, whose names I will not name, but we all pretty much know who I'm talking about, uh, he projects his own ambitions and his own worst thoughts and drives onto the people around him. So when Agrippina is like, you're killing all my friends. Stop it. You're a bad man. All he can think is, oh, she just wants to be queen. That's all she wants because all he ever wanted was to be king. And he can't imagine that anyone else has any other drive than pure personal pleasure or ambition or trying to power and uh, demean the the anger in his heart away. But also that uh, he's like, that that he cannot see that he is destroying everyone she knows, but but he's like, hey, this one dude that you made me turn on, I didn't like it, and it's more, it's almost less that he cares about Pizzo and more that he doesn't like that he was forced to do something he didn't want to do, you know. But in his mind, it's just that he loves Pizzo so much that he's still mad about it. He's a, he's a, I guess what I'm saying is, his he's all mixed up inside. He's just a messed up guy who's all mixed up inside. With, re- with respect, I disagree with everything you said. Oh, okay. Your interpretation is wrong. Well, only the point where you're like, he accu- he's accusing her of his own fault, which mm-hmm. is wanting wanting power. I he, he never wanted power. He was forced into that by his mom, Livia. Oh, no, but that, it's power and for I think him. What he hates. I think what he hates about Agrippina 
is when she says, I just want to be left alone, that's what he wants too. And indeed, that's why Sejanus gets so much control over the Empire, because Sejanus allows him to go off to Capri, as we'll find out in the next episode, and just be left alone to stew in his own perversions. But when Agrippina says, I just want to be left alone, he knows that that's true about her, and he hates that she has the opportunity to do that. Okay, I could and see that. that. Him, and that him in, him continuing to target her uh, and target her friends and bring her into this conflict when she is not interested in it is him punishing her for having what he always wanted, which was the luxury of not being a part of it. I could see that. I would say I would say that his becoming emperor was his attempt to get to a place where everyone would have to get off his back, and he could do that stuff. But uh, no, I think you're right. I'm, but I'm going to try to I'm going to try to save face a little bit. So he exits finally, and then the camera zooms over to Sejanus, out of popping up out of nowhere, as if to say, "See, Agrippina, you're not the only one who can apparate." In any case, I think we should take a little break here. Uh, this is iPodius. We'll be back in a moment after these words from the network. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe nothing. Maybe dead silence. Let's see. Let's see what producer Jordan puts in there for us. Hey everyone, iPodius, of course, is brought to you by you, our Max Fun membership, and also by Acorn TV. I wanted to work with Acorn TV because, among other things. They're a great place to watch the show I, Claudius, which this show is about. And they're also a great place to watch my other favorite TV show, Foils War, which I'm going to try to trick Elliot into doing a nine-year podcast series <laughs> about. <laughs> All right. We're going to see how the trick works. You're working through series one of Foils War, right? One of the great mysteries, one of the great performances by Dennis Kitchen, mm-hmm. and one of the great performances by Honeysuckle Weeks. Boy, oh boy. You go into acting with a name like Honeysuckle Weeks. You got to earn that. You got to back that like, up. This yeah. is like this is like Imogen Poots territory mm-hmm. of like I don't I'm not sure I can take this seriously, but boy is she good, isn't she? Yeah, she's great. I mean, everybody is. It's a it's a, an immaculately put together show, and everybody in it is doing amazing work. And I am looking forward to watching all nine years of it. Uh, I'm trying to see how many. There are eight eight, eight series. Okay, eight, eight series. series. Although. Series four is is broken down into part one and part two. Okay. And and by the way, I don't know how far you are into this, but one of the great things about Foil's War is you're constantly seeing incredibly famous British actors before they were famous. So the first episode, you got Rosamund Pike. Second episode, you got your David Tennant in there. Uh, And it just goes on and on and on, all these familiar faces that you love. Because British and Irish and Australian actors are kind of the best. And so you and they come over here and they work in our television and movies so you know and love them. And you're going to see them all over Acorn TV. Like Benedict Cumberbatch is all over this place. Oh yeah. Guy Pierce, Academy Award winner Olivia Coleman. And it's not just thrillers, mysteries, dramas, comedies, but also incredible documentaries. One that I'm looking forward to looking at this evening uh, that I found on the Acorn TV website, Hidden Britain by drone it's just <laughs> it's just aerial shots of 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 chatsworth house and 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 canals and of course i'm continuing to make my way through uh the harry bikers tour 
uh, the pubs that built Britain because I'm doing research, Elliot. You know why? Uh, no, uh, are you also going to go through the pubs of Britain at some point? Not me. We. Oh. <laughs> if, they, if they can put the hairy bikers on, they can put the withered nerds on, right? <laughs> sure. like, like withered nerds go on a canal to tour all the canals of Britain. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, yeah. The canal, the nerd canal tour. I mean, I love it. I would, For you, I would watch it and I would do it. For you and I to leave our families for months, <laughs> months at a time. and live on a canal boat together? <laughs> the point is, Acorn TV is your one-stop shop on the high street of the internet for the very best in programming from Britain, from Ireland, from Australia, from mysteries and thrillers to comedy and drama. It's all there. Please join us in being thrilled that they're supporting us by supporting them. Visit www.acorn.tv or download the Acorn TV app on your favorite device and use code PODIUS for an extended 30-day free trial. That's acorn.tv, code PODIUS, Acorn TV, world-class TV from Britain and beyond. Hey, if you like your podcast to be focused and well-researched and your podcast host to be uncharismatic, unhorny strangers who have no interest in horses, then this is not the podcast for you. Yeah, and what's your deal? (laughs) I'm Emily. I'm Lisa. Our show's called Baby Geniuses. And its hosts are horny adult idiots. We discover weird Wikipedia pages every episode. We discuss institutional misogyny. We ask each other the dumbest questions and our listeners won't stop sending us pictures of their butts. We haven't asked them to stop, but they also aren't stopping. Join us on Baby Geniuses every other week on MaximumFun.org. Hey, thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you. These are real podcast listeners, not actors. We took the identifying marks off this podcast. Just tell me your impressions. It's really sexy. My first thought is like Radiolab? Definitely something popular. Yeah, really popular. A hit show. But funny, too. Like, does Tina Fey have a podcast? Or the Marx Brothers? Yeah, is this podcast Radiolab, but hosted by the Marx Brothers? And sexy, like Sade. It reminds me of Sade. Exactly. And they're all riding in a BMW. Close, but not quite. Take a look behind these panels. (gasps) And then watch this rocket blast off into space. Whoa. And there's the pies we made you. (gasps) Now... Let's show you the podcast. Wow, it was Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go? Hold on. Whoa. Oh my goodness. That was 514 JD Power and Associates Podcasting Awards. That was really scary, but compelling. I guess I should definitely subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go. Um, yeah, I'd say so. Jordan Jesse Go. A real podcast. Hey, everybody. This is just a reminder that all these episodes of iPodius have been pre-recorded, including all the letters. So when you send me letters at Hodgman at MaximumFun.org, I enjoy them. The world cannot unless you want to post or repost them at the Maximum Fun subreddit on the Reddit website. The Maximum Fun subreddit is a subreddit on Reddit where people talk about Maximum Fun shows, including iPodius. And I've been using it a lot, getting in there and answering people's questions and saying thank you for their comments. Uh, It's a really fun community, and we're doing a lot of iPodius talk over there. So if you have memories of watching iClaudius in Latin class or in a weird moment with your mom or dad when you were a kid, 
uh, just think to maybe go over there if you want. Reddit.com slash r slash maximum fun. That's reddit.com slash r slash maximum fun. Look for the Judge John Hodgman discussions. Look for the Flophouse discussions. Look for the iPodius discussions. And discuss. Thanks. All right, we're back. This is iPodius. We're covering episode six using the Wikipedia numbering of the 1976 BBC miniseries I, Claudius. This episode is called Queen of Heaven. And now, producer Jordan, co-host Elliot Kalin, we, na- we now come to the, the, the big scene. Uh, the, I guess they call it dinner at some point. I thought that it was like a brunch or a lunch. I mean, you could say but- I, I, it, it's probably one of those like early afternoon, mid-afternoon think, dinners that people in ancient times used to have. And then they'd have like a late, late meal. They, let's just, it's right. like the Spanish style. You got a big meal in the middle of the day, and then it's not till very late at night that you actually have like that that late dinner. So this is Livia the Poisoning Lady's mid-afternoon uh, breakfast brunch with her with two of her very favorites, uh, Claudius, who's never been invited to her room before, and Caligula, who we gather has been hanging around there a lot. <laughs> what are you grinning at, monster? You are a monster, aren't you? Whatever you say, great-grandmother. Did you know your nephew was a monster, Claudius? Oh, was he old enough to have acquired that title? Oh, he started very young, didn't you, monster? Say what you will about him. At least he spends time with the older members of his family. That's true. And he understands that they are a living link to the past. And that's something that all grandchildren and great-grandchildren... This is Caligula? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he kisses them on the mouth. It's... uh, You have to... (laughs) It's true. I mean, he also is he's interested in his in his elders and other ways too. Sends them you up texts and, and what, <laughs> <laughs> but they don't know how to text back. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot happens in this scene, Elliot. Why don't you take a swing at, at at telling us what happens? Okay, Lydia, oh Lydia, say have you met Lydia, Lydia the poisoning lady? If you go to birthday breakfast, watch out, you might be poisoned next yet. So that's all I have so far, but. The, <laughs> Uh, so it's Livia's big birthday meal. This All is a right. big thing. Cla- I've, I've been a little mean. I've been a little mean to you in this episode, and I apologize because that was amazing. <laughs> thank you. I feel like it slaps on all levels. I, oh, thank I you really very much. That. Uh, I, I hope that Groucho, wherever he is, could hear and, Give and us, say, "What's that about?" What? <laughs> given that it was more or less off the dome, as they say, I like it. As yet, what was it? That was that was your last rhyme. Uh, watch out! You may be poisoned next yet. Something like that. Next yet. Next, Next yet. yet. Okay. Very good. I mean, again, it was, this is a work in progress. Uh, so, all right. Uh, Claudius is, he comes and brings a gift. Caligula is lounging around there, and Claudius yeah. makes a big point of drinking wine in front of Lydia without being afraid of it, to say to kind of like. Uh, oh, I say he is afraid. You see fear on his face. Oh, I say, but he but he pushes course, through it. Yeah, Lydia. Livia is known as the poisoning lady. That's yeah. why Herod said, "Bring your own wine." That's why the famous song and is about yet, her. Yeah. Yeah, and that that's, that's yeah, every, everyone's favorite musical tune. And yet, uh, when offered wine, he, as a show of trust, he drinks three huge goblets of it. And maybe to either like get it over with and die, or get just drunk enough that he's not so afraid. And yeah. Caligula's like pretty impressed. Yeah, and, and it's classic. That's classic 
family get-together stuff is you're like, let me pound these down real fast so I can get through this event. Livia is like, really doting on Caligula in that way that grandmas have where they're like, oh, you're terrible. No, you're really terrible. I love you because you're a rascal. You're so bad. And uh, the right. and she talks about, oh, I found uh, Germanicus's uh, talisman that he lost and died afterwards in your room. Well, uh, see you later, Caligula. Drops the bomb on Claudius that she knows that Caligula helped kill his own father by gaslighting him and driving him crazy, as des- as described in the last episode. In fact, she found the jade figurine, the, the jade uh, head figurine that Germanicus always carried with him in Caligula's room, and that's how she figured out that he was the poisoner. And she's talking, that's how she figured out that he aided and embedded the death of his own father. And she's saying this right in front of Claudius, who's like, blah, 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 blah. He's like dro- drooling wine out. Yeah. And Caligula's like... Are you going to poison Uncle Claudius too, grandmother? And she's like, no, because he'll never turn on you because he has sworn to protect you because of family connection. And all of a sudden, you know, Livia is now reaching a point where she has zero fucks to give. And she's letting all of the truth uh, out, right? Yes, and, and that's that's going to be the heart of this scene. I do want to mention that you said that he has a Caligula has a feces eating grin, and for a moment I thought you said fetus eating grin. I'm like, not this episode, John. Come on, oh, no, 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 spoilers, spoilers. <laughs> but right, so the uh, uh, Caligula leaves after a fair amount of kissing, kissing and fondling his grandmother goodnight. She doesn't care anymore. She's she's going to be open with everybody, and there's a, and there's that thing that certain types of horrible people have where they they. They don't like – they want everyone to worship them, but then the one person who calls them on their stuff, they're like, I like you. You're the one who gets to do that. You're the – Livia, you're the Don Rickles to my Frank Sinatra. You're the one who gets to make fun of how I'm a violent, mean person. Why do you keep glossing over this? <laughs> this pivotal moment where Livia says after, – after she reveals that Caligula is a creep and a monster – she says she has to talk to Claudia some more. She says, "Now you may kiss me and go," mm-hmm. which is basic. Which is basically how I say goodbye to everyone now. <laughs> so that that is superseded. We'll talk more later. You say kiss yeah, me and now go. Now it's like now you may kiss me and go. And he gets and he walks over there, sits down next to her, kisses her passionately on the lips for like I don't know, Jordan. How long would you say that kiss lasted? Three days. <laughs> Three days, three weeks, what, however long. It was way too long. It made me super uncomfortable. And as you've established, Livia is, is all of her fucks are on back order, so she's just she's with it. <laughs> she's, she's down. Yeah, there's even some fondling that goes on during that kiss. It's so wildly inappropriate. And then he and then he finally leaves, and 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 it's like he kissed that shit eating grin directly onto Livia's face. She, the look on her face is so priceless. She's not exactly smiling, but she's just like. She, it's as close she as she gets. En- she enjoys what a what a incredibly horrid creature he is in some level. I think that I think there's a certain amount of knowing that he is not her problem, and the kind of right. the, the pleasure you can get from seeing somebody who is going to be a problem for somebody else, and knowing like I'm not going to have to deal with that. It's like the most okay well, boomer is. <laughs> yeah. Of the Roman Empire, that's such a boomer move. Yeah, and. and uh. <laughs> and and also the You're sense absolutely right, Jordan. That's exactly she is. She's a total boomer. It's like this this kid is this kid is not this kid is Rome's problem now. I'm I'm out of here. Yeah. The only thing I care about is my reputation, and that's why she cares about Caligula at all, and Claudius 
for that matter as well. Grandmother, after all these years, you didn't invite me to dinner just to tell me this. Why, and it's made you bold, isn't it? You said you kept in with Caligula because he was to be the next emperor. Lost your stutter too, I see. But if by then you're dead, what difference can it make to you? Oh, it makes a lot of difference. And that's really why you're here. I want to be a goddess, Claudius. It's the first time you feel like she's being honest, certainly with him, and or honest with anybody since Augustus died, you know, and she knew that he wasn't going to tell anybody because he was literally on his deathbed at the time. And this whole scene is really amazing in that she opens up to him, and Claudius also drops a lot of the, like, a lot of his tics during this sequence and speaks much more yeah, confidently and plainly. Yeah, and... Uh, she tells him she wants to be a goddess, or as it's as it, as John Hurt pronounces it, goddess. Uh, she wants to be a goddess after she dies because otherwise she's going to hell. Right. She knows that Rome is going to burn, and she knows uh, Thrasyllus has because Thrasyllus has prophesied that Caligula will become emperor, which is also prompts I think a uh, not exactly a, a whiny spit take from Claudius, <laughs> but definitely a drool take. <laughs> And she says it makes perfect sense because all my stupid son Tiberius ever wanted was to be loved, which is dumb. And if not in if not in life, then in death he will be loved because Caligula will be such a terrible emperor mm-hmm. that he will be thought of fondly. I mean, it is a real, sorry to get modern, it's a real George W. Bush, Donald Trump situation where all these people are like, oh, I miss Bush. And I'm like, you do? Because when the, when the current guy is bad, anyone beforehand looks better. She wants Claudius to promise to help Caligula make her a goddess. And I'm saying it the John Hurt way, goddess. Goddess. And Claudius wants only one thing in return. He, The most important thing to him is to know what happened and to know it truthfully from the people who did it. And he, there's a, so she tells, she talks him through all the in, all the people he she killed and he asked, did you do this? She goes, yes, do you do this? No. And you can tell there's a certain amount of like both, you know, horror that she did these things, but like a real delight that he's getting the inside story, that he's finally learning the truth about these things, because that's all that he really wants. He's a real truth seeker in a way, but just because like, then he's going to write it down on a scroll someday, years later, and nobody's going to read it. And that's kind of what he does. Jordan, what did you think about the, the mutual respect that Claudius and Livia seem to have for each other in this scene? I thought it was very touching. Uh, Claudius is a very touching character. It's hard not, I mean, she's not an easy person to root for, but I, I kind of was a, she's kind of, she lived She lived a life, if you think about it. She did whatever whatever she wanted to. She killed whoever she wanted to. And then she she tries to become a, a, a goddess at the end of, at the end of it. Um, <laughs> and she's, and she's pretty much, she's pretty much successful. I, I think, you know, uh, Claudius is a good guy, and, and there's this demarcation line where she's obviously, you know, standing on the wrong side of history. But I, I think that there was—I feel like there was some some love there. I feel like she, as much as she's capable of loving anyone, I feel like there was there was at least respect. I think you're right that she she the thing that she is more than anything else is a survivor, and she sees in Claudius a fellow survivor, and she is very open in this episode about like, you did it. Like you did, you managed to live this long when everybody else has been murdered because they thought they because they were seen as threats. And like, 
I got a tip of the Roman cap to you, Claudius, that at the end of the day, it's just you and me and nobody else who's still standing and does not have a likely violent death ahead of them. Although, That's you know, right. Livia has it's her true. death. Ahead of her. A tip to the a tip to the Roman hat. I forgot that Livia was wearing a big gladiator helmet in this episode. <laughs> yeah, and tips to him. And and Thrasyllus is like, I foresee you would live an extra couple of months if you took off that hat. It's compressing your spinal column. And she's like, No, no, style before life. And you know, she's got she's got all these catchphrases in this episode. <laughs> it's suddenly she's suddenly at the end of her life, she wants to coin her catchphrase, and it's like, it's too late, Livia. Just like deal with it. She's still working on her brand. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hashtag live your life, and she's just like gramming it up. Hashtag live your life, and people are like, "No, don't! It's, it's too, come on, too late. It's over." But she, there's and, a. I, th- I think she. This is she's looking at Claudius through. She's the one who thought I can see through everybody into their inner hearts, and I know how to manipulate them. And you're the one person I didn't see through until now, and that and means she didn't realize that he wasn't a fool. Yeah, and that, and in a way that makes you that. more my equal than anybody else. That you were, you were as much a master deceiver as I am. And she has a she has a present for him. It's not. It's like a Hobbit birthday where you give presents <laughs> to your guests. Yeah. It's a sibilin prophecy, whatever that is. It says after Caligula is emperor and dies, Claudius will become emperor, which is very hilarious to Claudius in his drunken state. But of course, we know. It's the truth. So and he laughs and he says, "If I can become emperor, you can become queen of heaven." And she's like, "That's the title of the episode." <laughs> yeah, he really did put some title sauce on that. <laughs> if I can become emperor, you can certainly become the queen of heaven. <laughs> we cut to Claudius in the outer imperial cardboard chamber. Sejanus, he's uh, Claudius is there to to speak to Castor because Castor is feeling very ill. But Sejanus snakes his way close to the royal family by telling Claudius, A, Claudius' own wife is pregnant, which Claudius didn't know. B, Claudius has to divorce his wife when Claudius goes, I guess I do. And C... Well, he's just pregnant with another Don- another man's child. That's Also, that's the thing, because he hasn't seen his oh, wife right, yeah, a no, time. Yeah, right. <laughs> what does he say? It's like... This may seem an odd question to put to a husband, but did you know your wife was pregnant? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. How, how do you know? I know. Well, it's nothing to do with me. We haven't even spoken for a long time. You'll have to divorce her now. What for? Well, you can't be married to a woman who's going to bear someone else's child. What an eccentric fellow you are. Your uncle will expect you to divorce her. Oh. oh. Of course, I'll divorce her. Whom will you marry? Harry, I'm just getting divorced. Yes, but you won't want to live alone, will you? Well, I was just living alone all the time I was married. Well, then it doesn't matter whether you marry or not. I'd rather not. Nonsense. I have just the woman for you. She's beautiful. Independent. She'll leave you alone as much as you like. Who is she? My sister. This is obviously and nakedly a power play by Sejanus because it creates a bond between him and the imperial family. But mostly, to me, it was a scene about how Patrick Stewart is a very close talker. <laughs> very, very. There's a lot. Like, did it, it kind of felt. It kind of felt like he was there. That Patrick Stewart was about to kiss uh, Derek Jacobi. In I, scene. I think he can Don't see a little. I mean, I think he can see that Claudius ne- desires personal space. 
and does not want someone close to him and is eager to agree to anything to get out of this conversation. And I've seen it happen many times in real oh. life that someone has to get something that they want. They get up real close to another person and the other person's like, yeah, OK, yeah, I just I don't like this feeling. So I'm going to say yes so I can leave. And uh, Claudius, uh, this is one of a series of, of decisions he makes throughout the next few episodes where it's like he does something to get out of an uncomfortable conversation. And then later it's like, oh, that was <laughs> that was a, maybe that was a mistake. Yeah. The thing he does was to casually agree to divorce his wife and marry someone else's <laughs> sister. Yeah. Meanwhile, Castor is not feeling very good. This is a great scene. Uh, one of the great death scenes. Castor is on his deathbed and his last sight is Captain Picard standing behind Magenta from Rocky Horror Picture Show, that is to say Sejanus and Lavilla, uh, getting uh, sexy while they watch him die. Not very sexy. While watching Castor die, he, he just kind of holds Lavilla's bosom uh, as if to say, yeah. like, mm, uh, your wife is mine now. Peace. See ya. This is your, this is your, these are your last moments. Yeah. And Castor's like, oh, I get it, and then dies. Uh, but I, I just think you've, you've there created— are two, there, are two major, there are two major gropes— in this episode that you see on camera. Yeah. One is Caligula groping his own grandmother, <laughs> and the other is Patrick Stewart groping Magenta from Rocky Horror Picture Show. And any image search of I, Claudius is going to show you this. If you haven't watched the episode, just search I, Claudius, <laughs> and you'll see Patrick Stewart standing behind Patricia Quinn in this sort of like chillingly possessive scene. It's it's gross and weird. In it, Again, I cannot read it enough. An awkward episode to watch on a plane, as I did. Not knowing that these things were going to happen, I, I just want to mention that you have hit your head on you, you've hit the nail on a a crossover I've never heard of before the Picard Magenta uh, Star Trek Rocky Horror crossover, and I'm like, why have I never seen that before? They're from another planet in Rocky Horror. Well, how come there's never been a Star Trek visiting Frankenfurter's planet story? And iPodius fans, I leave it up to you. Whatever form you want that story to take, make it happen. Or as Picard might say, make it so. I guarantee you, if you email it to me, I will forward it unread to Elliot, and he will read it. <laughs> I will read it, and I'll find something to correct in it. Um, now, it's back to the Claude Squad after that, right? That's right. It's some chill toga time with the Claude Squad, <laughs> but it's, it, the Claude Squad is depleted. Not as many Clauders as there were before. We got Herod. We got Agrippina. We got Claudius. We got Claudius's mom, Antonia, who's going to be a big... A big character in the next episode and uh, uh, Herod is saying that he's going to go uh, he's going to leave Rome go to Edom to try to scam some money off of one of his uncles and Agrippina calls Claudius out for marrying Sejanus' sister uh, and Antonia cannot believe that he's doing this and Antonia and uh, his mother and Agrippina his friend and sister-in-law just take turns just calling him a coward and a and a, and a writhing foolish snake uh, and uh, and a betrayer. This is one of the real Claudius is Charlie Brown moments, where it's just other characters insulting him and telling him what a Claude well, block, blockhead he is. They literally call him a blockhead. You're absolutely <laughs> right. It's totally. That was one of the few moments. There's a lot of like modern day words. I'm sure there were not necessarily equivalents of in Rome, but when they call him a blockhead, I was like, wait a minute. But it, it it's not the first time. It's the second time that uh, Herod, in defending Claudius, he's like, he's not a blockhead. It's we who are the blockheads. Mm, I don't. Now you're just calling attention how weird it is that you're saying blockhead. Yeah, because Herod's point is that that uh, Claudius bends like a reed in the wind as power shifts and and times change, and that's why he's alive. And now half of the Claude squad has been basically dusted before an unstoppable foe. I mean, 
if the last episode was the Claude Squad's Age of Ultron, this is their end of the Infinity War. It's like, mm-hmm. my God, what has happened? And uh, and it's during the scene that we learn we we find out that Celia Cecina has committed suicide. So Agrippina is particularly uh, open and vulnerable at this moment. Oh, uh, and for, thanks, and he, thanks for the Cecilia Cecina update. I was just saying we mentioned it earlier. We got to close his loop. I was just worried that people were going to be like, oh, I can't wait to find out what Celia Cecina is going to do in the next episode. Sorry, he's not going to be in it. He has another off-screen suicide, as happened so many times in this show. Yeah, the pe- the people who are on board for listening to us just go on and on about a 1976 BBC miniseries are going to be so upset that you didn't tell them what happened to Celia Cicino that they might not <laughs> listen to the next episode. Good point. <laughs> for the Clavlitists, for the Claude Pletists out there. Jordan, remind me to set up a, a, a new segment all about Silius Cicino. <laughs> let's, let's do a segment called uh i i silius <laughs> just what he's up to let's just rework the entire show yeah we'll right around him yeah good silius asina's point of view yeah exactly we need to go back to the first episode and just say where silius asina was during this time frame which <laughs> <laughs> should be pretty exciting <laughs> um i got some bad news for you it would be pretty exciting if we recorded a little mini a little mini segment for the first, second, third, fourth, fifth episodes <laughs> where we're randomly talking about this person, this historical figure who's not part of the story at all and paid it off with this. That yeah, would be amazing. That would be amazing. That's true. That would be the kind, uh, of but, for, the kind of foresight that the civilian prophets have, but which we have not had in planning this series out. But speaking of payoff, you would think that this could be the end of the episode where the Claude squad is broken up and it's sad. But in fact, there are two big scenes that have to happen and it's all while Livia is dying. Mm-hmm. We cut back to Livia's cardboard bedroom, now her death chamber as she lies uh, ready to die. First, uh, Caligula is there and as we know earlier, uh, Livia has, has told Claudia she made Caligula a promise to make her a goddess and here she is on her deathbed and much like... Uh, Lavilla and Sejanus taking Castor's last moments to really rub it in his nose that she did it, and Sejanus is now uh, Lavilla's number one love. Uh, Caligula takes this moment to pull the curtain away from the promise he made to Livia. And what makes you think that a filthy, smelly old woman like you could become a goddess? I don't need you anymore, you see, great-grandmother. My secret will die with you. You're going to stew in hell forever and ever. And he gets in, he lies down next to her, at like, uh, just to further, what do you think, demean her in a way? And this, again, was, as I was saying earlier, is uh, John Hurt's idea, and he had to talk Herbert Wise into it because it was so uncouth to show a man and a woman lying in bed together, even if it was just a grandmother and grandson who happened to have kissed for a few days on the lips earlier in the episode and had some light, heavy petting. Uh, and it is so much uh, – he tells her, Drusillus has, predi- has predicted – or was it – no, Thrusillus. I read it wrong. Thrusillus predicted that someone's going to die soon, and they're going to be the greatest god of all, and that's going to be me. I'm going to be emperor, and then I'm going to die, and I will be the greatest god that there's ever been, and I'm going to torment you forever in hell. So thanks, Grandma. And that is the, the last message that he leaves her with. And it's like – it's one of the – it's so – to, and there, you should have a moment of like, oh, Livia's getting her comeuppance, but instead it's just so, you feel so, or at least I did, I felt so 
terrified for her because the one because yeah, she is genuinely terrified about about being tortured in hell for the, all the terrible things she did. Yes, and and, and uh, he has rescinded the promise to make her a goddess and get her off the hook. And as you point out, Thrasyllus has made another prophecy that someone in the Roman Empire is going to die soon, and that person is going to become the most important uh, deity in history. Again, an amazingly and the only person um... in the empire who will have temples dedicated to him. Mm-hmm. And this is the year maybe twenty nine. So obviously, this is talking about uh, the historical figure uh, known as Jesus Christ. So even though uh, uh, Caligula is misinterpreting who this prophecy is about, Thrasyllus is killing it again. Once again, Thrasyllus has somehow stumbled and bumbled into an incredibly accurate prophecy. And they I noticed that, and they don't... And by the way, a pretty big one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. You, I mean, you could say it is the one prophecy that the largest world religion is is built upon. Uh, and I, I guess the Gospel of Thrasyllus was lost all these many thousands of years ago. But the, it's well, the, the, no one knew, no one knew to look for it as a footnote in the <laughs> in the the astrological chart of Livia, the poisoning lady. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, there's there's a lot. Got to be like, a line of song about like, that. Let's see, let's see, lady. Let's see. It seems that you will maybe fall ill in about a year, but before that, you will have a a, a a wonderful year. And also, by the way, in two years, the Messiah will come. I don't know what it means, but I put it here. <laughs> They're very tasteful in the prophecy about talking about. It sounded like to me as a non-Christian, as a Jewish person, talking about the historical Jesus and not not making a big claim that he would be... He doesn't say, like, the son of God or anything like that. This is not a 1950s cinemascope biblical epic where they're all in on Christianity. But he has this very, like, historically accurate prophecy where it's like, someone's going to die in the Roman Empire. Soon they're going to be the only person that temples in Rome are dedicated to. And Caligula's like, well, it's got to be me. Who else could it be? It's got to be me. (laughs) And uh, he get such pleasure out of, one, mispronouncing the word goddess. He just, like, makes a meal out of that one word in a way I never thought I'd ever hear it pronounced, goddess. But also in taking away that last moment of redemption from Livia on her deathbed. And it's it's such a cruel thing to do. And I keep thinking about Livia's, like, I think we can all agree, probably, Livia's not, like, a great person, right? Like, she's not a good dude. Jordan, she, you seem like you're she, on the fence. Well, what she said something in, in the breakfast brunch scene. She said, I did, I did horrible things, as all leaders must do. Mm-hmm. And, and do you think that that's true? I, I think that she's definitely a bad person. I definitely think she deserves to go to hell, but I didn't want her to go to hell. I, 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 I forgot because she's so charismatic. I'm like, wow, we're, we're sending bad people to hell nowadays? That's wild. Um, <laughs> is that the new, is that the new the plan? New, that's the new plan. Uh, oh. But there's something I couldn't help, especially in this episode, I just couldn't help going back to the thinking that, like, if she were a man, she would be – she could have been emperor. She could have maneuvered herself into that, and she could have done those things above bo- – like kind of more openly in the way that Sejanus is just purging people left and right under false premises. She has to be All sneaky right. and conniving and poisoning in a way that feels more evil to us because it's hidden. But it's it's hard to separate her. She is by far the smartest person in the entire series, but she is hampered from moment one from accomplishing as much as she – probably could because she's a woman and, th- and that means that she can never hold any of these positions. Well, so the three of us all agree she should become a goddess. Uh, I don't Let's know if I go that far. No, we all agree. No, I don't want to. I, mean, I mean, I don't think eternal torment is the thing. It's kind of at a certain point. After I'm the not first, the one composing the... songs to her. Okay, you. fair point. That's a fair point. I did compose an ode. 
Well, because I was hoping she would she would uh, she would be the patron for my history that I'm writing. So that's the that's the next episode, which is coming <laughs> up soon. But we have one last scene, which is of course Claudius shows up after Caligula's left, and Livia explains that uh, Caligula was just here snuggling with me in a gross way and whispering in my ear that he was, was taking his promise back. He was not going to make me a goddess. And this this drives Claudius to tears. You should be the queen of heaven. I promise you. Really? Go on playing the fool. I think I think it's there's that that family connection in that moment she is before him a frightened a frightened human being who is about to die and so and as we've seen in past episodes he is still living with the terrible things that she said to him old claudius is remembering the laughter that she cast at him and the same way that you you're always kind of constantly living in your memories of things but at that moment i think what's fresh in his mind is the conversation they had at her at her birthday party that where she treated him like a human being for the first time and now He's kind of reciprocating that by treating her like a human being. And also Claudius is the only person on the in the show who really seems to feel like words and promises matter. And they made this promise and it's all and that's important to him. There's all these the and he, there's all these emotions in him at once where I think it is partly him being like, "Oh, this person and I we finally connected and now she's going and she did these terrible things, but she is my grandmother and I made this promise and I have to keep it." And it's I think those those tears that he's feeling are are so complicated and it's such a great choice for them to make to just have them be reacting emotionally that way and not to have, you know, you there's that part of you that kind of wants Claudius to get his revenge in some way, but like that's not Claudius. That's not what he would do. He's a he is the he is a feeling person. Yeah. Derek Jacobi is so amazing in capturing in capturing all of those emotions and to, and to really be sincere in his sadness. Because of course, Livia is also a connection to a a past that was much brighter than this current present in his life. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Rome was wildly imperfect when he was growing up and his life was not always very happy, <laughs> you know, she, and even though, and even though uh, she didn't kill Germanicus, his beloved brother, she did have him marked for death. <laughs> and she didn't get around it. to it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's still, it's still a link to a past that is rapidly, you know, rapidly diminishing in, in, and he's now being thrust into this increasingly horrible, dark present of the reign of Tiberius and Sejanus, which we really delve into in the, in the next episode, which is on the nosedly titled reign of terror. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, I didn't know this until today. And this is on the Wikipedia page. I should have seen it years ago uh, that, that Derek Jacoby was not the first choice by far that this role had been offered to Charlton Heston and all of all people, and Claudius had, and when Charlton Heston turned it down, they had offered it to Ronnie Barker, who's one of the two Ronnies, a a, a, a archetypal, uh, like very middle brow British comedy duo. I mean, it's very and successful, beloved, it. beloved comedy yeah. duo. Oh yeah, nothing against them, but can you imagine Charlton Heston pulling this off? Well, it makes, uh, especially looking at it now, that seems like a very weird choice. But Charlton Heston, I can understand why they would say like, oh, we want someone who is who is identified with these types of stories. I mean, Charlton Heston had done so many biblical sword and sandal type 
like uh, things, you know, like he had played Moses and stuff like that. So there's a very different kind of simpler, dumber version of this show where Charlton Heston is playing it and he gets to give big speeches about nobility and truth and things like that. Uh, what? But while faking a stammer? Come yeah, on. it is very hard to imagine him playing the uh, disability. <laughs> That part. I mean, they would have rewritten it such that uh, Claudius was like a gladiator or somebody who was super strong, right. and it would probably end with right. him hurling Tiberius off a cliff or something like that, you know, and then and then converting to Christianity. It would be a very different show, but uh, th- but it's yeah, still no, Derek Jacobi. Derek Jacobi, even after both both Charlton Heston and uh, and Ronnie uh, Barker, and maybe even the other Ronnie turned it down. <laughs> there was still another person who was cast in this role. The Derek Jackby refuses to name who had to be fired due to some reasons that Derek Jacobi's refused to specify. And then finally they're like, we'll give him we'll give this guy the role. And this moment is just, I mean, testament to what an incredible actor he is. All right, this has been a very long episode. I mean, literally, this episode is I think a full 15 minutes longer than most of the episodes in the series. So thanks for hanging in there, listeners. We we don't have time for a lot of dispatches from the Empire, but we do have one very special uh, behind-the-cardboard-scenes interview. And uh, Jordan Cowling, go get your mom, because she's going to want to hear this one. When I say I, Claudius, to you, what what do you remember about that experience that first well, comes to mind? I, I smile, first of all, because in uh, the schools that my son was then going to. I don't think my daughter was born then. Maybe she was. They called it I Clavdivs. <laughs> you understand? I've heard, I've heard that from you a lot of people it. at that who were, were very confused. Yes. Uh, here in the, United, in the US? Yes. We, oh. We've been getting lots and lots of letters from people who either remember it as they were adults when it first aired or when they wandered in while their parents were watching it uh, and were yes. instantly traumatized by the Caligula scenes. Yeah. Oh, John Hurt. May he rest in peace. Um, yes, it was a very important uh, little piece of work for me because I'd never done anything that significant on really? BBC television. No, I played little guest roles here and there. But the director who's... Herbert Wise. Herbie Wise. Indeed it was. Here's to him. Oh, yes. May he also rest in peace. Um, a wonderful director, very creative, fearless, and fun. Yeah. But what, what I quickly realized when um, I first met the rest of the cast... And we did have uh, a read-through, I think, of the first two episodes. But he called everybody in, whether they were in the episode or not. And you were you were not in those first two no, episodes. No, no, I right. think I was in four through eight. Yes. And um, what I immediately recognized about the casting was that everybody in the room was a stage actor. Yes. They were not known primarily for television yeah. or films. John Hurt was virtually unknown. Sure. Um, Patrick Stewart was certainly unknown. And Brian Blessed was known, who played Augustus. Yeah. 
because he had done, within a few years of leaving drama school, he was cast in a BBC series called Z Cars. It was oh. a, a police series and the, the leading actors were four guys who drove police cars. Right. And it was terribly good. And, uh, Brian, I had known since I was 12. We grew up... No, I didn't know that. Yes. Um, we both... Uh, West Riding Yorkshiremen. Well... And come from similar backgrounds. Uh, both our fathers and grandfathers had at certain times been coal miners. Oh, I see. And we lived in um, uh, council estates. I see. And I did, right up to going to drama school and saying farewell. Um, and so to have him there was a very reassuring thing for me. I would think so. You're, I'd known him for so many years. Your friend since childhood. And, and he was a heavy duty star himself. So yes. he was probably the only one that was well known. Uh, there was George um, Baker, Baker yeah. who had done some feature films, which was rare in the company that I moved in there. I didn't know movie actors. But there was also Peter O'Toole's wife. Who was? Who played, um, who played Augustus' wife. Olivia. Who played Livia. Cyan Phyllis. Sean. Oh, Sean, excuse me. I'm sorry. Sean. 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 Sean We've had Phillips. lots of conversations on the podcast about how to pronounce her first name. It's Welsh, I presume. It is Welsh, yeah. and I'm pretty sure that it's Sean. Sean. So uh, there you are. You're, you're a young actor. This is your first big job. You're going to the table read with all of these actors. You're not even going to be reading in the table read for these first two episodes. No, no, no. Just sitting and listening. But, as I said, the, the, the great thing about this director... Uh, Herbie Wise was that he loved stage actors at a time when the separation between stage and television acting was beginning to wipe through. Uh, and now, of course, it's almost entirely crippled. Well, one of the things that I think is the hallmark of I Claudius is that the acting is so fine across the board. Mm -hmm. as, as a trained stage actor, I wonder how you felt about how close the camera was to your face. I, uh, I was very excited to get this role um, because it, although he was only in the middle of the series, it was an important character. It was. It uh, became an important character. He was simply a member of the Imperial Guard before that, although I think he might have been the commanding officer when we first meet him. The, the of the the uh, you know the, the the Roman the main Roman the imperial guard, imperial guard. Yeah. Um, and yet he had higher ambitions. Uh, yes, he he sniffed out how corrupt society, particularly the Caesar society, was, and decided that he would join it, and that was the way that he would uh, he would uh, proceed. And indeed, he did, marrying one of. Augustus' daughters. Grand granddaughters. Oh, was the granddaughter? Yeah. Yes. And she was a very exciting and scary actress. She was very intense, yes. if you recall. And um, so intense that I was a little frightened of her. She, I felt all the time that at any moment she would attack me. 
that there was that energy in her. In her she, and it was terrific. And it wasn't just acting, I suppose. I don't think it was, no. I mean, I actually found myself very attracted to her. But because of what she put out, I, I never allowed that to show. Well, I felt she conveyed a real sense of danger and unpredictability. Yes. And so did you. Really? I mean, yeah, you, you're a oh. straight-up villain. Wow, that's, that's good to hear. Um, I, and I, I think that it was, I mean, not to get personal, but it was, you, you both had a very, you had a very intimate and, and hot scene together. Uh, oh, yes, we did. Yeah. I've never done anything like that. Before. I was going to ask you. No, that was the first one. Um, I did, after that, later on, take all my clothes off, and I did have a full frontal scene. Mo no, not scene, at moment, on BBC television. But not in I, Claudius. Not in I, Claudius. Well, no. that poses the... Sorry, finish But it gave me, that show gave me one of the most favorite scenes I've ever had. And um, it was when I, um, I took my wife aside one day and said to her, look, um, there's someone else. There's another woman. And I'm going to divorce you and marry her. Right. But nothing is going to change. I remember that line so well. Right. It's all going to be exactly the same. Right. And she went, ape shit. Well, because the woman that you were proposing that you marry instead of her was, was her, her own daughter. Was her own daughter. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, Good stuff. Let, let the listener know that Patrick Stewart is rubbing his hands in demonic glee uh, uh, at the memory was, of this evil character. Uh, it, it was so much fun. And then um, the actor, you will probably know, went wow. on to fame in um, the, oh, uh, the, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, really? She, that's, that's what I know Patricia Quinn from. Oh, otherwise. But I was thinking about another actor who replaced me. Oh, he was the man. John Reese Davies. Yes, John yes. Reese Davies, who became, uh, with Harrison Ford, one of right, the leading he was characters. Sala in Raiders of the Lost Ark. In Raiders of the Lost Ark, yes. Yeah. And I remember thinking, Wow, didn't he do well? <laughs> wow, that must be so great to don't go tell me, Don't that. tell me you're jealous. Um, I was at the time, envious. I still well, am. That's true, right. Envy plays a really important part in my life, and it drives me in some respects. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, so long as you don't let it show too much. But now I've confessed it to you, John Hodgman. I felt like I just... Yeah. I felt like I just got a Sejanus look from you <laughs> in that moment. I was heartbroken when I had to die and leave the series. Yeah. But it, what it did was elevate me into a category of television actors that I had never been in before. Yeah. And it had an impact. Was the impact in Britain as big as it was here in the United States? Because it was a real oh, phenomenon yes. here in the it, U.S. It was, and it was repeated every week. I mean, they would, because there was no streaming in those days, right. um, they, they showed the episodes of I Claudius twice in one week. Yeah. That was the level of the demand for it. It was so popular. Critically, it was adored, and in uh, terms of numbers, but it was a very different world in the BBC in those days. But there had been nothing so bold, so um, explicit yes. in its 
ambition and fury and rage and sexuality yeah. and sensuality. I don't think anything had been done quite like that before on um, on British television. Certainly it was quite groundbreaking here in the US as well, and I agree with you. And maybe it opened the door to explore more sensuality and sexuality such that you could later have a full frontal noodle scene. Nude scene in a maybe yeah. uh, yes I did that was for a series called Eleventh Hour. Yeah, um, everyone's dialing that up right yeah. now. <laughs> I have this question. Uh, people go back and watch this. They see all their favorite British character actors that they've seen in other movies and everything else. They see Patrick Stewart with hair, very disorienting. Oh for some yes, yeah. and not my own. Not your own. That's what I wanted to ask. No, Any no, memories no. about the hair piece? It, my way, my hair was gone when I was nineteen. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, it was devastating, yes. It all went in about a year. My first year as an actor, as a professional actor. So were you used to wearing hair pieces oh, by yes, then? Oh, yes, and so. have been all my life. The thing is, my head is a gift to wig makers because they don't have to hide anything, and they can do it as subtly and lightly as possible. And because my scalp shows through. Uh, I, I think you've that. got one of the most remarkable heads. With thank or without you. a hairpiece, it's a gift to humanity. Well, thank you. If only I didn't have to learn lines and just show my head, I would be very happy these days. But unfortunately, learning lines is required. Well, thank you very much, Sir Patrick Stewart, Sejanus, yeah. for sharing your memories of I. One Why more do you think little anecdote, please. A quick one. No, I'm afraid we're out of time. Goodbye. <laughs> years and years and years ago, I was in. Um, Mexico and I had gone alone because my then wife didn't I did she didn't want to leave her hotel room um, onto the site at of uh, I don't it wasn't Teotihuacan uh, it was something deep in the jungle in the Yucatan jungle and I deliberately stayed right up till the time they rang the bell telling everybody they had to leave because I wanted this amazing Mayan site to myself. And I did. I sat on the rim of the ball court in yes. this Mayan site. And then finally the announcements were being made, you know, everybody has to go. And I didn't want to be shut up for the night in a, in a Mayan temple. So I went down and as I jumped off the last rock onto the ground, a woman, an American tourist, walked around the corner, and this supports what you just said, and threw up her hands and said, Oh my God, this is St. James! <laughs> and that was years later. Yeah. End of conversation. End of conversation. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you, John. What a pleasure. I love you. That was my conversation with Sir Patrick Stewart, Sir James himself. He's a very sweet guy. He was in Brooklyn. And, uh, and I asked him if uh, we could have dinner and talk a little bit about I, Claudius. And so we did. Sorry if the audio quality uh, was, um, was not ideal. But when uh, Patrick Stewart says, I will only talk to you over cocktails, you say, Hail Caesar. So I, I, liked, did. I liked it. I thought it was, I, I felt like I was there in the restaurant with you. I imagined cardboard walls, uh, people in kind of uh, plasticky <laughs> Roman armor all over the place. And uh, and I imagined you both wearing just very, you know, paper mache looking old age makeup. Uh, and yeah. the, and I was like, I was transported. I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. So I, I'm. And of, and of course, yeah. And of course, we were lying down on couches. While <laughs> yeah, we were well, well, someone was reciting something nearby. Yeah. 
I really appreciate uh, Mr. Stewart taking the time to talk to you. That was really awesome. Mr. Stewart? I don't know him. I've never met him. Uh, sorry, I, I Sir, really, I really, Sir I, Patrick. I was Sir really gl- Patrick Stewart. I, I was really glad that Pat Sir. talked to you. I'm, he would be very happy with you calling him Patrick, but not Mr. Stewart. I don't know. That's the uh, that's 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 the that's the way we do it in America. I don't know how they do it in England or ancient Rome or. Hey, jo- hey, Jordan. <laughs> uh, remind remind me to mark Elliot for death. All right, let's wrap up this episode and whisper it into the ear of our grandson for posterity before we die. Next time. Elliot, I will never mark you for death. You are my friend. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you, that. Elliot, Kalen, uh, uh, I adore you. Thank you for doing this project with me. <laughs> my pleasure. I've been enjoying it so much. And uh, I'm so excited we got we got so many more episodes coming up. That's right. And so let's let's get on with the future and wrap up this episode and whisper it into the ear of our grandson for posterity before we die. Next time, we'll be watching and discussing I, Claudius, episode VII, Reign of Terror, featuring the end of Patrick Stewart, but the beginning of Sala from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, that's true. As well as a very Monty Python-esque scene about elephants and who knows what else, because that is the future and this now is the ancient past. Our producer is Jordan Cowling. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Thank you for making something out of the audio that I got with Patrick Stewart. That was amazing. Our theme song, The Theme for My Claudius, was performed by Paul F. Tompkins. And this all exists thanks to you, members of MaximumFun.org. For now, goodbye from I... John Hodgman. And I, Elliot Kalin. And we'll talk more later. And now you may kiss me and go. MaximusFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. But did you know your wife was pregnant?